Um, thank you, Panis. That was great worship today. Um, I'm glad to be back with you this week. Thank you for letting me go and um, help out a little bit at South Shore Community Church. It's a good church, a good group of believers who love God and love the Word. But I'm glad to be back home uh, today. Um, there are a lot of hurting churches in the community. Uh, we're thankful that we can be in one that teaches that Christ died for our sins and resurrected again so that we might have life. That's what we believe. And there is no room for compromise in that. Um, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. We've been doing this series called Move Over, this lectionary series on the Gospel of Mark. The idea is make room in your life for Jesus. And this week, the name of the message is God, I love this building. God, I love this building. Now, that's not taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm saying, God, I love this building. Last week, Megan talked about the widow's offering and how Jesus was pointing out her not to glorify her giving, but he was pointing out the fact that the widow should never even have been there giving in the first place because he was angry with the religious system that had been so corrupted that a woman who should have been living off the temple offerings was actually compelled by fear by corrupt religious leaders to go and give money she could not afford to give. That's actually the story of the widow's might. A lot of people think, oh, we could just be like the widow's might and, and give till it hurts. That's not the point of the story. Megan did a great job. I was listening to the podcast. She did a great job explaining that last week. And so this week, we're going to continue with this theme of temple corruption. Mark chapter 13, 1 through 2. That's a picture there of the, that's kind of like a computerized picture of what the temple would have looked like. That's the temple that Herod built. It's in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. It's a beautiful building, some gold and some beautiful stones. Every stone was gorgeous and beautiful. As a matter of fact, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, said that same thing. They said, and as he came out of the temple, Jesus comes out of the temple, one of his disciples says to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what, a, what wonderful buildings. These stones and these buildings are gorgeous. They're amazing. They're breathtaking. And Jesus says, take a good look. You see these great buildings? There will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Take a good look, guys. You think it's beautiful? It's going away. I'm not impressed by it. I don't care how beautiful it is. I came to destroy it. It's pretty amazing what he says. And can you imagine, just to give you a little bit of understanding, the Jewish people loved the temple. As a matter of fact, I think it's safe to say they worshipped the temple. And Jesus goes on in, in Mark 13, verses 19 to 23, and he talks about the days in which the temple would be destroyed. This is all, by the way, already happened. It was a prophecy then, but this is historical. This has already taken place. So this is not a prophecy of something to come. This is talking about the destruction of the temple and things like that. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, man, I love that verse, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says, look, here is a Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. 
But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. So let's talk about, you guys know how we like to look at Scripture in the, in, in the garden. We like to look at it in three ways. First of all, you have to understand the history of a passage. If you don't understand the history of the passage, what about man, what did he do, and why did he do it? Then you really can't understand the theology of a passage. What about God? What did he do, and why did he do it? And then, if you understand the history and theology, then and only then can you really understand the devotional application of a passage. What we like to do is skip right to the devotional. Sometimes we like to skip right to the theology. And you can't really do that. You have to understand the history and the theology before you can understand the devotional parts. So let's look at the history. It's all about to change. For six chapters now, Jesus has been rebuking religion. That's pretty much been the theme of Mark. I'm getting rid of this old system, and there's a new one, a system of grace and mercy and forgiveness, because I came to die. And understand that Jews adored the temple. They admired it. And in fact, in many ways, they did worship it. They actually worshiped the temple. And what had happened over the course of time, Jewish people had fallen out of love with the God who supposedly lived in the temple, and they'd fallen in love with the house. And then what he does is he finishes up about a prophecy of the temple being destroyed. The disciples express admiration for the physical beauty of the temple and the stones. It wasn't just the building that was beautiful. The very stones that made them were so amazing. The way they were hewn, the way they were sculpted, the way they were moved. They were massive. They were big. And it really was, this temple was really, I mean it, it was an incredible sight to see. Jesus says, take a good look, because soon it will be gone forever. And when this happens, there's going to be a lot of false teachers, and there's going to be some hard times. And the warning of the false teachers is pretty amazing, because what he says is there's going to be powers and signs and wonders so convincing that hypothetically, they could possibly even deceive those whom I've chosen. Now listen, he wasn't just talking about miracles. A lot of people think that when they say signs and wonders, they're talking about miracles. That's not exactly everything he was talking about. What was the thing that so impressed the disciples? It was a building. Some of the stuff he talks about is audaciousness. Impressive displays. He's talking about many things, including those obsessed with sucking people back into temple worship. One of the false teachers he was referring to are the ones that Paul criticized in the book of Galatians, the Judaizers, who were trying to convince Christians, come back to temple worship. Come back to this beautiful city. Come back to this beautiful place. These stones, the building, everything is gorgeous. So that's the history of what's going on here. That is also the history of understanding what Jesus was talking about in this particular passage. Sometimes we look at this passage and we think it's talking about something else to come. What Jesus was talking about was basically the havoc that the Roman Empire would wreak on Jews and Christians alike. So, let's talk about the theology of this passage. By the way, I have a picture of the temple down there in the corner of every screen. 
just so you can be reminded what they were in love with. The theological part of it, God does allow suffering and he does allow the hardship. But you know what he does in that? Yes, it was a hard time and yes, it was terrible under Nero and almost every Roman emperor during that time. It was bloody. And if you were a Christian, it was extremely dangerous. In fact, if you were a Christian, you probably didn't have a good life expectancy because Rome hated you. Jewish leaders hated you. But what happens is the suffering allows God to purge the church of temple worship and all the false teaching associated with it. It's an example of how what Satan means for bad, God turns into good, and the concept of, you know, the idea that suffering is not always, while it's hard, it's not always bad for us. And during this suffering, what happens is the temple is purged from the church. The temple is no longer a temptation because it's gone and it's destroyed around 70 AD. About 40 years after Christ. But also in this passage, what we see is God says, and God cuts the day short because if he had let Rome continue to do what they were doing, everything would have been destroyed. The fall of Rome, in reality, is God's sovereign hand in history preserving the church. Isn't that cool? Now, some people believe that the temple has to be rebuilt before Jesus returns. I can tell you this, if there is another earthly temple built, it is certainly not to perform sacrifices pleasing to God. Because there is one sacrifice pleasing to God, and that is the death of Christ on the cross. In fact, I would tell you that the new temple has already been built. These words make it very clear that the days of God using a physical temple, a physical building to interact with his people are about to end. And because the love affair was so great, the only way it could end is if it were painful. It's kind of like the first time you were in love with somebody and they broke up with you. And you really were in a lot of pain. And you thought, man, this is painful. This hurts. This is terrible. Some of you maybe wouldn't eat for a few days. If you're me, you'll eat too much for a few days because I find such comfort in food. But the point is, it was painful. But you know what God does? He builds a new temple with living stones. Now, this is a crucial concept, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on it this morning. I want you to think about this. He goes through a lot of trouble. He purges the church of the temptation of a temple. He purges it, and now he builds a new temple with living stones. Look at this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. What did the disciples say about the stones of the temple? These are precious stones. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, another way to say temple, to be a holy priesthood, to offer, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What kind of sacrifices? Not blood sacrifices, but the sacrifices we see in Ephesians 2, 8 through 11. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepares beforehand that we stumble over, we trip over, that he throws in our path. That's what he's talking about. These weren't the stones the disciples were admiring, were they? Who are the stones here that Peter's talking about? It's us. We are living stones, breathing, living stones. Here's another verse in John. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. Believe me, woman. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus says, woman, listen carefully. There's coming a time where this mountain or the temple will not matter. That is not where salvation will come from. Salvation will come from God. He's looking for true worshipers, not temple worshipers. He's looking for true worshipers, not worshipers who flock to a building. You want some more proof? Look what Paul says in Ephesians. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. There's the idea of this building again, a foundation, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We talked about that verse a few weeks ago, about how Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone that the builders have rejected. In whom the whole structure, you see he's giving this picture of construction, this picture of a building, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see the theology here that God is building? He's saying, the buildings don't impress me. I don't care about them. I don't need them. What I need, what I want, are worshipers that are true worshipers through the Spirit, the Spirit dwelling in them. My new temple is made out of living stones. Isn't that a great theology? Now think about this for a minute. That would mean that you are the very thing, in essence, that the disciples admired in the first verses we read today. Look at this beautiful building. You are that beautiful building. But here's what happens. Let's look at the devotional part of this. <clears throat> For some reason, somehow, we started going back to venerating buildings in the church. The first one here that I'm showing you is called Haggai Sophia, which means holy wisdom, that's now a mosque. It's in Istanbul, Turkey, built around 500 A.D., but originally, for the first thousand years, it was called St. Stephen's, and it was a Christian cathedral. Look how beautiful it is. 
It's been standing for 1,500 years. Beautiful, isn't it? Around 500 AD, some bad things started happening in the church. We started venerating temples again, built with dead stones. Here's another one, another very famous one. Notre Dame, built about 1,000 AD in Paris, France. Isn't that a beautiful building? It's gorgeous. And you better believe there are certain things you have to do when you're in there because you have to venerate the building. You want a little more modern version? This one makes me sick. The Crystal Cathedral, built around 1980 in Garden Grove, California. Gorgeous building, inside and out. Venerated, adored, loved. Guys, people sacrificed their lives to build these buildings. I can guarantee you some people died building St. Stephen's and Notre Dame. People sacrificed their money. People sacrificed their time to replicate a dead system that Jesus railed against. They did all this instead of sacrificing for the advancement of the kingdom through the gospel, not a building. Now, I'm not ripping on the building program here. You'll see that in just a minute. <laughs> People are getting a little uncomfortable. Somebody go get Pastor Steve. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Can you imagine how empty it would be to be a martyr for one of these cathedrals? Certainly, there were those who died in the construction. You think God, you think God looks at these incredible, and listen, I'm not minimizing their beauty. They are ridiculously amazing buildings. They're crazy beautiful. But can you imagine what God thinks about them? Do you think God looks at those and say, wow, I love these buildings. I can really be at home in there. That's what God thinks. Sometimes what we do in Christianity is we venerate these buildings more than the people that worship in them. Did you know that even the idea, I did some research this week, you know that even the idea of dressing up for church is going back to temple worship where the priests had to dress in certain white, clean clothes before they go into the temple? All of it is getting sucked back into a system that is dead that gives you no life. This is us slipping back into what the Jews used to do before Jesus, the thing that Jesus warned against, the thing that Jesus said, pretty soon that's not going to be the way you worship. The first, first century church, they met in houses, guys. They had no cathedrals, and that thing exploded. How about the rules of veneration? I'm not talking about rules for maintenance. Look, we have buildings, we need them, there's a place for them, and we have rules to take care of them. But sometimes we have rules that venerate buildings. Like, for example, I remember I was in a church not too long ago. I was getting ready to do a, a funeral or something, and, and I was up, and I was there about an hour and a half early, and I was, getting, I was setting up some stuff, and, and I had a diet, a, a cherry zero with me, which is the, the, the beverage of choice in heaven. And I have the cherry zero... And this church had a big, beautiful, you know, altar area, and I was there early, and I put the, the soda on the, a table that was up there, and this woman came sprinting from the back, <laughs> like 
six million dollar man slow motion kind of stuff she gets to the front she says get that off of there it more sound like get that off of there so I picked it up what's wrong she goes we don't put things on that table and so I jumped up on it I said oh really no I didn't I did I'm just kidding I didn't do that I didn't do that listen I believe Church of the Palms is really good at loving people. It's pretty evident we are with what we do for our budget and what we do for our time. You've got Day of Hope. You've got the food pantry. There's a lot of good stuff. But even this is a good church. Even this is a good church. This is one of the best I've seen at loving people. Even we struggle sometimes with building veneration. Don't we? It's easy as humans. It's not a Church of the Palms issue. It's a human issue. We get sucked into loving buildings more than people. This is the image of the temple we should have in our mind. This is what we should be in love with. This is what we should say, look at those stones. Aren't those stones beautiful? Isn't this building that God is jointly fitting together amazing? Because you know what we have now? We have a much better temple. Yes, some of the stones might have acne, Some of them might be a little too skinny. I don't like those stones. You skinny stones, you really tick me off. Some of us stones might be a little overweight. Some of us have a receding hairline. (laughs) But you know what? It's a mobile temple, it's a ubiquitous temple. That's word of the week, means everywhere. It's not built with rocks, but with living stones, and Jesus is the cornerstone. It's a far more beautiful, superior temple. Mobile, ubiquitous, not built with rocks, built with living stones, and a temple set apart and sealed by God. Look, there is a need for buildings, but they should never be venerated. I'm not saying a church can't even have a nice building. You certainly can, but you see what I'm talking about, right? How we can tend to be like those who worship the temple. And the Church of the Palms is in the midst of raising money to fund the construction of a new family life center. But this is not about loving a new family life center. It's about loving the temple of God, which is the people. And loving the people in our neighborhood and in our community. You see, the biblical connotation of a sanctuary, the word sanctuary, what it really means, whenever you see the word sanctuary, think dwelling place of God. Does the Spirit dwell in this place? Is it like, I've heard, oh, the Spirit dwells in this place. I mean, on Monday when it's empty, God is here? Well, I mean, technically, I guess, you know, because he's omnipresent, but he doesn't live in this building. Does he dwell in the place across the courtyard, the beautiful building we have? No. He dwells in the temple of God, which is us, the church. We should never in any way elevate a building or things in a building 
furniture, whatever, over people, ever. As a matter of fact, as a church, we should be willing to sacrifice anything we have in this building for the sake of people. You know the obsession that the Jewish people had with the temple that we see in the first verse we read today? That obsession that they had? The obsession that the early church and the church for the last 2,000 years has had for cathedrals, lavish buildings? I was in Rome a few years ago and saw the Vatican. Ridiculously beautiful buildings. And they are venerated, aren't they? That's the level of passion we should have for the real temple the new temple, the people of God. Wow, this building is beautiful. Should refer to the church, his people. That's why I say, God, I love this building. The building I love is you guys. I love what's going on in your hearts. And in your lives, when I see the gospel permeating your mind and your heart, and he's drawing you to himself, and he's transforming you, and he's giving you new passions and new directions and new callings, I love it. I could care less if it happens here or in the park. I don't care. I just love God's building. I love the way it sounds. I love the way it looks. And I know sometimes the building fails. And then I see it redeemed and resurrected. And I see it healed and forgiven. And it's so fascinating for me to watch. This is soon what the disciples would begin to say after the resurrection and the church began. They fell out of love with the temple and fell in love with believers. That's why they should have said, as they came out of the building, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. That's what we should be saying about each other. Man, God, I'm so beautiful. That's a beautiful stone you got working there. I love how you've put it together in your temple. That's amazing. Their admiration, the disciples, our admiration is no longer toward a temple or a cathedral or a worship center or a campus center or a family life center, which all are very needed and necessary and important, but they're not as important as the temple of God, his church. All others serve the church, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Because what beautiful stones make up this sanctuary of God. What a beautiful building. God, I love this building. I really do. 